0: For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel. The 2022 election season officially begins this week. The election board expects about 600 candidates to file for political office before Friday evening at 5 o'clock. Along with local races, this year's elections include all statewide offices, both U.S. Senate and every congressional seat, as well as the entire state House and half the Senate. Are there any races you think we should be watching? Ryan, let's start with you.
1: Well, I mean, if you look at just the filing right now and, you know, everyone keep in mind, we're taping this Thursday afternoon. So there's a lot that can happen between now and the close of filing at five o'clock on Friday afternoon of this week. Um, but if you look at the the second congressional district race uh, that thing is just becoming so crowded uh, names that you know we didn't that we haven't even been talking about on this show we've talked about a lot of the folks you know, Mark Wayne Mullen uh, and others that we were going to that we knew were going to uh, jump into Mark Wayne Mullen's seat uh, he's running for senate my my apologies for the confusion there uh, but everybody you know we knew everybody in the dog was going to jump into this thing but that crowd is getting bigger and bigger if and I know that Maybe political debates are a thing of yesteryear uh, and with more and more candidates saying, I won't participate in that uh, debate with my opponents. But if they do that in the second congressional district, they're going to have to put them out on a basketball court uh, to fit everybody out there. Uh, I, I don't know what the number is up to right now, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised at this point if we get to five o'clock on Friday and we've got double digits running for the second congressional race. You know, some of the big takeaways for me right now are the people that aren't filing. Uh, I learned just this morning that my good friend and uh, amazing voice in the state legislature, Colin Walkie, uh, is oh. not running for reelection. Um, and I texted him immediately after learning about that. And he told me, he said, you know, uh, he said, you know, as well as I do, when you when you know, it's your time, it's mm-hmm. it's time. And, and I I sure do. You know, after six years, it was a tough decision to leave, but it was the right decision. And you know, I, I trust that he knows that as well. Representative Marilyn Bell uh, out of Norman, uh, she announced a couple of weeks ago that, uh, and she's told me she was you know, breaking up with Oklahoma, uh, and so she's, she's not running. Uh, and you also have Carol Bush uh, out of Tulsa, Representative Carol Bush not running for re-election. In the Senate, too. that I think surprised a lot of folks uh, with announcements you know, just weeks before the filing period, uh, Zach Taylor, uh, mm-hmm. state senator out of Seminole, Oklahoma, uh, and then, Chairman of Business and Commerce and Tourism, Senator James Lee Wright. Uh, you know, both of those are, you know, two of uh, I think the you know very reasonable, sound, thoughtful voices in the state Senate. And I think that that was kind of a surprise to a lot of people that they decided not to come back. Um, and that's to me, those those are some of the the bigger issues right now, or bigger uh, takeaways right now. The people that have decided not to go file. Neva.
2: Well, you know, I think it's interesting. First of all, I mean, this year on day one, we had about 375 mm-hmm. candidates file. I think, uh, according to the election board folks, they they're expecting by five o'clock today, Friday, that this, uh, that our listeners are, uh, listening to this, um, that we will have somewhere around 600. Now, I think, I think it's, uh, interesting when you put that in comparison to four years ago when there were almost 800 folks that filed, but take into account that uh, we had statewide offices where folks were term limited, we had a lot more competition. We're seeing many of these secondary office holders, uh, at least in day one, um, with no opponent uh, uh, in, in the field. So when the dust settles, I think Ryan is, is right, the CD2 race is the one that uh, is going to garner a lot of the interest just because it is so crowded and it is an open congressional seat. Four, four years ago in the governor's race, folks probably, we, we, we tend to uh, um, not pay a lot of attention to some of the folks that file, but there were 15, people that filed for governor four years ago. So a lot of those names didn't get any traction, didn't do much in terms of campaigning, got single, digit, uh, uh, single digits in terms of their vote total. But at the end of all of this, what we have is races from the U.S. Senate and the congressional races all of the statewide legislative races, and all the way down to, uh, uh, we have the judicial races going on, district attorney races, as well as the uh, courthouse races, some of the uh, seats that are up there. So it's always a fascinating time. Ryan is right. I mean, there are always these folks that uh, for whatever reason, incumbents that decide not to seek re-election. Sometimes they, they're thinking about it for months and finally just make that decision literally within hours of uh, having to uh, either sign on the dotted line or say that they're not running again. So I think next week we'll we'll be uh, looking with interest in, in when the dust settles uh, to see if there are any real, real surprises or whether it's just kind of a normal, uh, sequence for this year and the election cycle that we're in.
1: You know, we've talked a lot about the Oklahoma County District Attorney's race on here, mm-hmm. uh, and that will be a very competitive race with David Prater not seeking reelection and that being an open seat for the first time in over a decade. Um, but one of the continuing themes that I've seen with these DA races, and you know, I'll say again, the most powerful elected officials in the state of Oklahoma are district attorneys. And I was looking through the list of incumbent district attorneys today. Uh, and many of them have filed for re-election, and again, uh, many of them are currently, as of as of taping, still running unopposed. Uh, and that just can, you know, just continues to baffle me that you know we have this incredibly powerful position, um, and folks get re-elected without any opposition.
2: You know, it was interesting too that the Oklahoma County or the ousted Oklahoma County, uh, district judge Kendra Coleman mm-hmm. filed filed uh, uh, to uh, regain her seat and her candidacy was kicked out by the state election board on the advice of uh, uh, their legal counsel from the attorney general's office. And when you look uh, really into what uh, what the state law stipulates. I mean, it's pretty clear. I mean, it says that no one who's been removed from judicial office qualifies to to uh, uh, file as a candidate for judicial office. So that was something that uh, it, folks that don't pay a lot of attention to uh, the uh, the judge races probably didn't didn't see or read much about that, but it is fascinating when you when you really take into account that there are very uh, very uh, detailed descriptions of who qualifies to run for office and how you have to go about making that declaration of candidacy. So one thing we'll see early next week are the potential for any challenges to these folks that have filed for office. so uh, and we'll go through the process of the, Uh, election board determining whether or not uh, that is going to stand, the the names will stay on the ballot, or whether they also uh, potentially could be kicked off. So the dust will settle in a few days, and then there'll be time to print the ballots and on to the election
0: a republican candidate for state superintendent attacks stillwater schools for its bathroom policy education secretary ryan walters is threatening to take action against the district for its policy to allow students to use bathrooms conforming to their gender identity Neva, what action could walters take against the school
2: well i think i i think that's a big question i mean certainly he is a uh, uh, he has said that he wants uh, the, uh, the attorney general to uh, weigh in on this. And I think, I think it's interesting when we look at this whole conversation, this is a policy that was enacted by the district in 2015. This is not something that has just cropped up in, in the last few weeks or months. And so I think the conversation at the school board meeting Tuesday, where it was standing room only, you had uh, folks from all sides wanting to weigh in. It was not a time when the uh, board was going to take any action, but they did allow ample opportunity over an hour for folks to uh, express their opinions. Uh, and, um, and and I think we saw a mix based on the, the reports of what occurred. But in this instance, I think the battle is, are there are there going to be outside forces and outside groups that uh, that weigh in, even perhaps outside the community, that try to uh, uh, stimulate and have this conversation, or will the, the folks that are directly involved in the school, both in terms of administration as well as the uh, the parents and the students themselves, involved, uh, how this will really play out? So you know, we have an interim uh, interim uh, superintendent uh, there. Who basically uh, made the statement? I think during that meeting that that the district, their aim was to follow what they viewed as best practices, and that they wanted to uh, avoid the politics of the issue. So um, again, this this kind of has kind of a two pronged, I think, uh, uh, debate to it. Uh, one in terms of direct direct action. In Stillwater, related to the school district itself, and then the larger question of uh, of education policy and how many people uh, want to see that dialogue and that debate uh, really elevated. And I think we'll see a lot of that, frankly, in the superintendent's race in the next in the next couple of months.
1: Ryan. You know, I just want to know what Secretary Walters thinks happens in public bathrooms. Uh, you know, I I use public bathrooms all the time. I, I assume that he does. You know, my, I have two young kids uh, that are in public elementary school and Oklahoma City public schools. Um, I, I just this moral panic is uh, entirely manufactured. And and that's just it. You know, I don't think that secretary Walters in his heart of hearts and maybe he does you know, really thinks uh, that this is an issue. But I think that he feels like he can mobilize a certain segment of his social media constituency. Uh, and his constituency in a rep- uh, Republican primary uh, to become the state superintendent of public education. And that's all this is. And unfortunately, it puts you know, kids and their parents uh, that have been able to uh, operate under a policy that's not just uh, questionable in law. It's not questionable. It's, it's consistent with Title IX. It's consistent with, with federal law that guarantees uh, gender equity Uh, and availability of services, regardless of kids' uh, gender at schools. And so, you know, this policy has been around for seven years. There have been no incidents whatsoever. The only incident that's happened in seven years is that Secretary Walters thought that he could get some retweets on this. And so he put it out there and he's seizing on moral panic. He makes the problem worse because if there are issues, if there are parents that have students in Stillwater Public Schools that do have an issue, um, Stillwater Public Schools has demonstrated that they can deal with that at the local level. Um, you know, this is just politics. And unfortunately, the people that get used as fodder in this are, are kids and, and students. And really, I don't care what party you're in, we shouldn't abide by that, uh, that kind of politics. Um, and we should look at things that really matter, like the, the severe teacher shortage that we're facing. Uh, and teachers leaving the state of Oklahoma to go to other states where they can get more pay and more respect. Um, And now we've got a guy running to be the top education official in the uh, state of Oklahoma who's more concerned about what happens in a bathroom than what happens in a classroom.
0: A new political action committee is asking candidates to sign an anti-corruption pledge. Clean Up Oklahoma filed its statement of organization earlier this month Ryan, what do you think are the policies of corruption the group is helping to clean up here?
1: Well, I think that, you know, and I'm, I'm reading a great book right now by uh, former OU history professor, late OU history professor, uh, Danny Goebel, called Progressive Oklahoma. And, you know, issues of, of corruption and patronage go back uh, well before statehood uh, in Oklahoma. And in many instances, it was that corruption and patronage that led from Uh, led for the downfall of the Republican Party just before Oklahoma became a state. There there was complete dominance in the territorial uh, uh, government by Republicans and Republican operatives and appointees of uh, Republican presidents uh, out of Washington, D.C., and it was that corruption and patronage that led to the downfall. Uh, That's over 100 years ago. I'm not not saying that that history necessarily repeats itself, but the politics of anti-corruption Uh, has been with our state from the very beginning. I think that when you look at Joel Kensel, who has now jumped into the race uh, against Governor Stitt in the Republican primary, it's pretty clear that corruption and anti-corruption is going to be a key plank of his gubernatorial campaign. And uh, part of this goes back to the governor's own insistence and successful insistence at getting more executive power uh, in the governor's hands to make appointments without um, having to go through boards without having to go through the legislature, um, you know, turning boards from governing boards into advisory boards. And whether you agree with the governor's appointments there or not, uh, I think that charges of patronage uh, and cronyism are powerful whenever you're out on the doorstep. And um, so I, I, I think that we'll see a lot of this, especially in that Republican primary and Joel Kinsel has really drawn that line in the sand And I think that that's going to be what his campaign is about.
2: Neva. You know, it's interesting. I mean, you have a group that just forms two weeks ago, files their paperwork, and now they roll out this uh, this website and say, we want everyone that's running, everyone that's in office to sign this pledge. And I think we see a lot of this kind of activity going on. Oklahoma across the country in political circles, while they try to um, uh, engage uh, particularly elected officials and say, we want you to sign this or someone running for office and you must sign our pledge and tell us you will absolutely do this or not do that. And I'm not sure how much traction that's going to get, frankly, with folks that are being asked to do this. I think, uh, uh, I think some of the ideas uh, that they lay out certainly would have a, um, uh, certainly would have approval by uh, sectors of the uh, Oklahoma community at large. I think when you talk about a pledge that's, uh, that's trying to, quote, you know, they say prevent politicians, staff, and their family members and other, you know, other folks from cashing in on the taxpayer expense, that's a, that's a great line. People, people agree with that. Having a two-year ban on elected officials and their, um, and their staff from lobbying after they leave government conversation on that's gone on for some time um asking now i thought one of the interesting things was saying that they wanted uh, folks that uh, rec- they wanted to require politicians to disclose their tax returns uh you know uh, people in, in public office file annually a financial disclosure statement mm-hmm. that does that does give information uh, in terms of their financial um uh, uh wherewithal, but to say someone's going to uh, 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 give their tax returns, I mean they're not running for president of the United States and that's not been something that's uh, met with a lot of uh, interest in a lot of sectors. And then this idea, you know, again, they've kind of infused into their mix on the pledge that they uh, support this independent redistricting committee, which commission, we've talked about that on this show. Um, I think there's certainly a uh, a lot of folks that have more questions maybe than answers on that whole idea. But then you have the open you know the open records act and and, and when you talk about subjecting the legislature to the open records act uh, i mean we are one of only a few states i believe that uh, that don't have uh the legislature under the umbrella subject to the open records act so that would have in a public uh, uh, public discussion probably a lot of uh, support but again Folks that are running for office or in office, are they going to be interested in some of these, uh, this kind of all encompassing umbrella of I'm going to assign a pledge agreeing with all of these things. I think that's uh, probably uh, going to be a a real heavy lift, uh, at least at this point.
0: Governor Stitt officially signs a bill to criminalize abortion in the state of Oklahoma. Senate Bill 612 makes the practice illegal with a penalty of up to 10 years in prison and a $100,000 fine. And there are many other anti-abortion bills also heading to the governor's desk. Neva, how many more anti-abortion bills will we see cross the governor's desk?
2: I, I don't know what the number will be, but I think it's the governor's made it clear that uh, he wants to uh, sign every Uh, piece of legislation that is a a pro-life piece of legislation that crosses his desk. So this is nothing new. This has been true since uh, day one when he took office. I think as we've talked about again many times, uh, we have a very very strong pro-life legislature in terms of the composition overall. And certainly they have proven um, the willingness and the desire to move these pieces of legislation through pass them out of their respective House and Senate uh, chambers and get them to the governor's desk. So I think, uh, you know, whether whether every single bill still alive out there that is uh, related to this topic makes it to the governor's desk, maybe not. But I think I think we're still uh, in a place in Oklahoma where there is strong support among the constituents of these people that come to the Capitol to vote this way and to be very supportive of life issues.
1: Ryan. Well, you know, uh, the governor and I, I'm reading now from a tweet from Catherine Sweeney, who uh, is a NPR state impact reporter here in Oklahoma, does work with KOSU. And, uh, you know, she she pointed out that during the governor's press conference for Senate Bill 612, Governor Stitt said that he represents all four million Oklahomans and that they overwhelmingly apo- oppose abortion. Uh, but Catherine Sweeney posted that this uh, Pew survey, Pew survey that she linked to from 2020 says that 51% of Oklahomans support access to abortion. Uh, That doesn't mean that 51% of Oklahomans support abortion on demand, Uh, but I think that Oklahomans, like everyone else, have, uh, in many instances, very nuanced views on reproductive rights and who should be making those decisions uh, and how those decisions should be made. And so that's, I, I, I really think that, again, Pieces of legislation like this that hurt all of Oklahoma's women um, are then built uh, around a political campaign speaking to a very small group of the uh, electorate for whom abortion is the uh, ride or die issue at the ballot box. Uh, I I think that I don't doubt that uh, large majorities of Republican primary voters support pro-life legislation. Uh, but I think whenever you start asking, should there be exceptions uh, for rape or incest? Um, I think that even Republican primary voters would say, yeah, there should be exceptions there. Uh, and that's not the case with Senate Bill 612 that was just passed, that was just signed by the governor, and would, uh, you know, absent some intervention from the judiciary, go into effect later this summer. Um, so I, I really think that you know we have. We have so much going on for our state right now. Uh, you know, I, I, I find myself really excited about what Oklahoma's doing, but it's, it's difficult uh, to kind of have that excitement uh, when you know that half of our population is having their health care decisions taken away from them uh, and put in the hands of a legislative body that thinks that they need to check a box to get reelected. And I got news for you. Uh, legislators, Republicans and Democrats, can vote against these pieces of legislation, and the Democratic Caucus is, you know, far different than whatever I was there. It used to be, you know, three or four of us, uh, you know, Representative Ture, uh, Representative Shelton, and Representative Jeannie McDaniel, and you know, we would vote against these things, but there weren't very many over in the House. And you know, now you've got all House Democrats voting against it. I think you had all but one Senate Democrat voting against uh, these pieces of legislation, um, and they're getting reelected. And I think that. You know, again, for most Oklahomans, abortion is a nuanced conversation. Candidates can have that. And really, you know, the, the ballot box, gas prices, inflation, jobs, um, you know, what uh, decisions that women make with their doctors uh, and their families is really not the thing that drives most voters at the ballot box.
0: A new poll shows a majority of Oklahomans support not changing their clocks every fall and spring. The Amber integrated survey found 47% of respondents prefer permanent daylight savings time, while 24% like having daylight standard time, still another 24% like the current system. Ryan, do you think this will help push legislation to end the practice of moving our clocks forward or back an hour?
1: No, I don't. I I think that, uh, you know, we've (laughs) <laughs> this is this has been a debate ever since we put this into place. There, there, are you know there are organizations, uh, research organizations, that just study nothing but this. Uh, you know what happens to productivity, what happens to the economy, what happens to uh, traffic safety uh, whenever we change or don't change times at different parts of the year. Um, I, I don't I don't think that this this poll uh, really moves the needle one way or another. I think it tells us. You know, everybody loves to complain about daylight savings time. Um, I love to complain about daylight savings time, but I also love daylight savings time. Complaining about it's one of the things that I like. Uh, and, you know, I, it's, it's good to have something to complain. And I like, you know, I just like a little mix up throughout the year. It keeps me on my toes. Uh, and, you know, boy, that, that, uh, that early sunshine uh, after we uh, move our clocks forward, uh, that's great. Uh, and then you get to you know, feel like it's, it's time to start watching football and uh, you know, get, getting ready for for bowl games whenever it goes back. That's, I, I just think that um, most Oklahomans, uh, even even those Oklahomans that have very strong opinions about this, and I know that they're out there and I, my statement on this will probably get KOSU more email than than anything <laughs> that I've said in, in the last several years that I've done this. But but I will say, even for those of you that are you know, strongly in favor of, of changing, uh, and eliminating daylight savings time, you're going to miss complaining about it.
2: <laughs> Neva. <Neither. laughs> well, you know when when Senator Marco Rubio um, talked about this, he's one. He was one of the Senate uh, co-sponsors of the Sunshine Protection Act, which, by the way, last month in the United States Senate passed mm-hmm. unanimously on a voice vote. Um, he said that this was an idea whose time has come, uh, no pun intended, but uh, uh, I, I think you're right, Ryan. I mean, we, we love to talk about this. This is one of these great poll questions. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, you're going to find that the uh, results are going to be consistent among Republicans, Democrats, and Independents. Give them three choices, and you're going to have three, uh, three answers and basically split the pie whichever way that particular poll comes out. In this instance, 47 percent, the poll that was decided, uh, said, I believe that they favored permanent daylight savings time, Uh, whether that happens or not. I mean, it's interesting in Congress, uh, you have uh, Nancy Pelosi, who's made no indication of what her uh, attitude on this is. You have uh, uh, the White House uh, saying that there's no official position being taken yet on this matter. So even though these are not life and death debates uh, on on a, on the particular subject, I think it is something that probably uh, needs to kind of move through the process and and see what happens. I mean, we've got uh, we've got states all that have been. Uh, all over the board on this since since uh, somewhere around, I think it was 2015, about uh, 30 states have introduced legislation. We're one of them. I mean, that, that continue to uh, have this uh, ongoing debate. It kind of fluctuates back and forth. It's kind of one, it's, it's a perennial discussion uh, that usually comes about this time of <laughs> year when we're all uh, you know still in the aftermath of being mad about it or glad about it. So I have no doubt, we'll probably talk about this next year as well. Well, and that's just it. I, we've
1: we got to be careful, uh, folks, if, if we if we just resolve this next, we're going to cut down all the Bradford pear trees and we're not going to have <laughs> anything to talk about in, April right. in Oklahoma uh, or, or at least anything that that doesn't involve the kind of life and death, you know, real issues that that happen out at the Capitol. It, it's good to have uh, some some you know, small, smaller fluff issues out there.
0: Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff, or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at KOSU.org.